This week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that wins. We win. We won. You won. Everybody wins. It is the biggest news story we could be talking about right now. I cannot wait to discuss it. We'll get to it in a little while. Um, my name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Dude, I'm so excited about this news story. Um, and it, so, it, so everyone understands we're recording. It's May 21st. 2020. Um, so I'm I'm marking that date so you understand because this episode won't release for another like week or so, a week. So um, I just I'm so excited. That story we'll save it for the end. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> so absolutely. And it, it's one of those things. Um, it's kind of validating and that like we can say the whole time we've been doing the podcast we've been in support of this one news story and yeah we're all super. We've been in support. We've we've been in support. We've advocated, um, and uh, you have laughed at me every time I've brought it up. But we won. So, like I, I specifically, or the audience? You you you, Peter, specifically so, have laughed so, at me. I don't know if the audience has. The, the thing is, you know, like I've been hoping for this so much, but it's like it's hard to stay vague at this point. But it's something that's had such a stigma built up around it. Like it's kind of like I have that uncomfortable laughter anytime it's brought up even though i've always wanted to see it of course yeah (laughs) and for the argument of remaining vague we're gonna stay vague because it's too cool some of you guys already know i've gotten my my phone's blown up my twitter feed's blown up like people are directly hitting us um the top five report twitter feed hit got hit with a few people mentioning it so um (laughs) thank you guys for listening and yeah we're with you um, but first, we're going to talk about some crappy movies. We we're going to talk about some other stuff first, because <laughs> that's the one we're most excited to talk about, and I'd rather save it for the end. So, um, Peter, what are we watching yes. this week? Yeah, so I had uh, I have two movies that I wanted to mention. Um, one's kind of obnoxious, and one of them isn't at all, so uh, I guess I'll start with the obnoxious one. Okay. Uh, there's this new movie on Netflix called The Wrong Missy. Are you familiar with this at all? <laughs> no. Okay. But the title got so, my attention. <laughs> right. So this is a Happy Madison film. So it's uh, produced oh, by okay. Adam Sandler, obviously. Uh, and it's I, one of those things that I think it was last weekend it dropped. And uh, they were just showing the trailer on Netflix everywhere. And I saw the trailer. And it's basically the point of the movie is like it's starring David Spade. Um, it's co-starring uh, Nick Swartzen, which both of those actors I really enjoy, of course. But the plot of the movie is David Spade goes on a very bad blind date with a very crazy woman. And then later on, like a couple weeks later, he meets like a very amazing woman that's kind of like his perfect uh, other half. Like he feels like he found his soulmate. And he's going, and the thing is, both of these women have the same name. So he's going on a work trip, and he invites... <laughs> He invites who he thinks is the perfect woman on his work trip, but he actually invites the crazy woman. 
And then, you know, just chaos ensues from there. <laughs> and it's like a super simple plot. I kind of watched it because I thought it was going to be like, okay, this is going to be something stupid to put on. I'll have a couple laughs, but I don't even really have to pay attention to it the whole time. But the movie ended up being like really enjoyable. <laughs> like halfway through, I had to, because uh, I, was, I wasn't watching it with my wife, but I had to text her about it. I was like, this is actually really funny. And um, I wish I knew the actress's name, but it's the girl who plays like the crazy date of David Spade. She does like such a good performance that's so like believable and obnoxious and stuff. That what else? I think she just sells the whole thing. Like she makes the whole movie and it's. What else it's, is she well, in? I really don't. I really don't know. Um, because I watched it once on my this movie once on my own. And then um, I told uh, a friend about it, and then my friend told me that he he recognized her from somewhere. And I guess she was in like maybe Orange is in the new Orange is the new black and uh, Big Bang Theory, and basically everything she's been in, it's been like small like bit parts. So I don't really know like a direction to point you at where like I even recognize her from. But well, she was just like how about amazing this? and hilarious. Do you in know movie. Do you know what she was in Big Bang Theory? No, I, I hadn't seen her in Big Bang Theory. Oh, I think okay. she just did, like, a small bit part in one episode or something oh, like that. okay. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that one just kind of, like, if you wanted a, an obnoxious but good comedy movie, check that out. Um, and the other movie I wanted to talk about is actually a lot more serious. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this one, Drew, but uh, it's Batman and Bill. Um, it's a Hulu-exclusive uh, documentary. Um, no. I'm sure you know what it's about hearing the title. I I feel like it's it sounds familiar. Okay, so so it's uh, Batman and Bill, and the whole movie is about Bill Finger. Um, oh, I wanted to see that. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Okay, so so um, Bill Finger, for anybody who doesn't know, is basically he was kind of a ghostwriter for Bob Kane. Um, and He's, Bob he Kane he really of, he really is the creator of Batman. The best way of putting Absolutely, it. And, and I'm just trying to frame it in the fairest terms possible, but right. he basically created 99% of what you know and love about the character Batman, and he never got credit his whole life because he kind of just played the role of this ghostwriter, and then Bob Kane took all the credit for Batman. And the movie tells that story, and uh, this is a story that I've kind of been familiar with for a while um, because... Uh, so, the guy, there's a guy who wrote a book all about Bill Finger, and uh, the book got a lot of notoriety, and that guy was on uh, Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man on Batman, which I think is called, uh, what is that podcast called now? Because I know it's not it's, Fat it's, Man on it's Batman. It's called, uh, they changed the name, because they, uh, because the, well, because Kevin doesn't focus on Batman. It's, it, it, it focuses on Batman when they can, but it's kind of like an everything podcast, and Kevin Smith lost some weight, so he's not, like, as big as he was, so <laughs> right. they've changed the name to Fat Man Beyond. <laughs> oh, right, right, Fat Man Beyond. Yeah, which is, which is a Batman reference, so... <laughs> Absolutely. I love that title. I just hadn't listened for so long that I couldn't think of what it was actually called. But, uh, so anyways, this writer who wrote a book all about Bill Finger kind of missing out on the credit for, like, this amazing legacy he left behind. Um, that guy who wrote the book was on the podcast Fat Man on Batman, and Kevin Smith did an interview with him, and 
if you listen to that episode, you hear a lot of the story of Bill Finger and a lot of what happened. And so, like, I've listened to that episode I possibly even multiple times. So I was, like, pretty familiar with the story. And I had seen this documentary on Hulu for a while. Like, I don't know when it came out, but I feel like I've seen it, like, for months. It's kind of been, like, suggested to me. And I've been avoiding it because I was just like, well, I already know the story, so I don't know if I'm going to get a lot out of the documentary. But the other night, I decided to put it on. And the thing is, this documentary, what I got from the Fat Man on Batman interview is I got kind of the basic story of Bill Finger. But what this documentary, I think, cemented for was kind of the emotional impact of that as far as, like, not only on Bill Finger, but on Bill Finger's family and on... uh, it's kind of weird, like, you watch this documentary and it really makes it tangible how Bill Finger kind of made, had, like, such a big hand in making this amazing thing, and he got no credit, and how that is kind of, that kind of became this dark cloud that, like, loomed over his, uh, like, the rest of his family for, like, generations afterwards, and it's kind of, like, their tale of redemption, so to speak, and it actually was, like, pretty... Uh, empowering might not be the wrong word, but it was really inspiring to watch, like, kind of this family go to their redemption. Um, so it's kind of one of those things, if you know the story, it's a great watch. Like, you definitely will get more out of it. And if you don't know the story, like, definitely check out this documentary. It's awesome. Um, and then, uh, if you didn't know, the first place that Bill Finger got his name in the credit for as a creator of Batman was Batman versus Superman. Yeah, um, absolutely. They talk about that in the documentary, and yeah. it's actually like the the way they uh, they show how that happened is actually kind of a really touching moment too. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I really want to see that, so I'm gonna have to put that on my list. So I will I will make sure I check that out. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely like a good thing too if you want to get into the superhero or comic book mood. Like, it's definitely a cool thing. There's not enough. Uh, documentaries about comic books so <laughs> anyone anyone's that are out there i just love so there's a there's uh, a there's a, well, there's a really good documentary you might like called um necessary evil um and it's uh it's a bunch of creators from dc comics talking about the villains of dc comics right on yeah yeah I mean, like I think, like uh, the I sorry think... you put you paused i'm like he's taking a drink of water that's why he didn't react right away <laughs> uh yeah no I was actually, but I think you've recommended this uh, documentary to me in the past. I still haven't seen it, but I'd really like to. Yeah, it's. I mean, they don't cover all the characters. They really just cover all the major ones, and they hit like characters for each hero and that kind of stuff. It's a really cool documentary, um, but it's just it kind of gets you in that mood because and they don't cover they don't cover a lot of movie footage. It primarily focuses on the comic books themselves when they talk about the characters. So that's um, awesome. Yeah. Um, well, on a superhero note, I watched Birds of Prey. Oh, sweet. Is this the yeah. first time? This can't be the first time. This, right. is the, this is the first time I'm seeing it because the movie, oh, rele- really? the movie released, and yeah. then I was too busy the weekend to go see it, and then COVID shut down the country. Yeah. So okay. this is my first viewing of Birds of Prey. Um, and I, um, I actually saw it a couple, I want to say a couple weeks ago, but... Um, did you not bring it up on the show? Ago, but, huh? Did you not bring it up on the show? I don't think I did because I think you had already 
I thought you already saw it, and I didn't want to like retread on it or something oh. like that. <laughs> oh. But it's okay. We can have our Birds of Prey review right In- now. Interesting. Okay. Um, no, so overall, first off, the movie was way shorter than I thought it was going to be. Okay. Um, the movie is short. It's like... Like, most of the comic book movies are, what, two hours, two, two hours plus? This was uh, 90 minutes. <laughs> I was like, um, that's the length of a Pixar film. And then it felt long, which I thought was interesting. So it's short, but it felt long. Yeah. Um, long in a good way, because I didn't really want to... I, like, I was enjoying what I was watching. Um, overall, I really enjoyed the movie. Um and I knew that going into this, it is it is also directly a sequel. It's it's clearly set up as a sequel to um, Suicide Squad. It has the same visual language, the same um, punches. It's um, and they even make a re- couple. There's a couple reference to uh, things like she sees a wanted poster for Captain Boomerang, or Harley Quinn sees a wanted poster for Captain Boomerang, and she's like, I know that guy. Um, so <laughs> there's some, there's a couple bits like that that I'm like, oh, clever. So this is legitimately a sequel, like the Suicide Squad. Um, I knew we were getting new takes on characters. Like we were getting a new take on Black Canary. Okay. Now they've done the Black Canary on the Arrowverse and they do it really well. So seeing a new take on Black Canary, I didn't know how I felt going in, but she was one of my favorite characters in the movie. I felt the um, same way. She was one of my Huntress. Too. Huntress is one of my favorite characters in the Batman mythos, like I really like her character. Um, but she, um, and I, and I liked what they attempted to do with the character in this movie. Um, and because it's the first time finding the Huntress and this is like her first, it's almost like her first time, her first night out. She's not as confident as she is in the comic book. So I was okay with that. I almost wish that they just had her in her actual Huntress costume. That was the only bummer that I had to be honest. So, yeah, it's that, I mean, it's that typical movie, um, comic book movie conundrum where they're always trying to make the costumes believable and sometimes, like, as awesome as Huntress's costume is, like, maybe they just thought it was hard to actually get her into that costume in a believable way in a movie. Um, and that's okay. That's that's an adaptation to screen. But then they put Psylocke in the proper costume in <laughs> X-Men Apocalypse. So, there's an Yeah. <laughs> I think... Yeah, I mean, at this point in the X-Men movies, they can kind of do whatever, and everybody's going to roll with it, though, I think. <laughs> I feel like the DC movies are in, under higher scrutiny in a lot of cases, but, uh, yeah, did you have any other thoughts on it? Or um, Yes, I have one. So, well, actually, first off, um, I really liked Ewan McGregor as uh, Roman Sionis, the Black Mask. Um, he, so, the Joker is very, I've, I've talked about this before, the Joker is very... Uh, chaotic, and you never know what's going to happen. Um, and because of that, he's a very—I find him to be very entertaining. I don't—he doesn't scare me, really. Where um, yeah. Black Mask is one Batman villain that makes my skin crawl um, yeah. because of some things that he's into in terms of like torture and like—I mean, there's a brutality to him, and it's methodical and it's planned out. It's not chaotic like the Joker, so it—I it, feel like it makes him a little scarier. And Ewan McGregor was awesome. And they touched on that. Um, Mr. Zazz, this is probably the best Mr. Zazz we've ever gotten. So, awesome. Um, And then, uh, the one big glaring, I cannot forgive them for screwing this up so much. But Cassandra Cain got royally effed in this movie. Okay. 
like bad. Like I was like almost angry by like the middle of the movie. I was almost angry. Um, and, uh, the, I was like, so first off, when you see, see Cassandra came at the first moment you see her, she's not talking and they, they, eventually she says, a, she says like two words and I'm like, okay, let's keep it to the minimum. Because if you don't know anything about Cassandra Kane, when you're first introduced to her, she's mute. Um, and her father, uh, David Kane is one of the most feared assassins in the DC universe, but he taught his daughter, instead of teaching her how to speak, he taught her how to fight and she uses her fighting skills as her language. That's how she communicates. So she doesn't know how to talk. So when you get to meet her for the first time, she talks. And then there was no mention of David Kane at all. And she's basically like this homeless child wandering the streets. And it's almost bumbling. What they should have done, and this is this is where I'm angry. They should have taken that girl, left her as part of the story, and created a whole new character for her and not wrecked Cassandra Kane. Right. That is my that's where I was like irritated. She got like the Jimmy Olsen treatment and Batman and Batman and Superman. I mean, where they kill off a guy and then you find out it's Jimmy Olsen. And it's like, well, why did he have to be Jimmy Olsen? It could have just been a random reporter. But I, I do, I do, I do agree with that statement. Um, uh, for Bat and Batman Superman, but it was nice that they put him in there. And but they didn't, even though they killed him in the movie Batman Superman, they didn't change who he was. That's true. You know no, what that, I mean? That's, that's actually a good point. And they just totally changed who Cassandra Cain was. And that kind of bummed me out because Cassandra Cain becomes the second Batgirl. So um, I was really kind of... That other that was the only glaring issue I had with the movie. Otherwise, I really enjoyed what it was. Um, it, it almost makes me wonder if they wrote the script for the movie and they have this little girl character and then they just decided to throw that name, like Cassandra Cain, onto her instead of... <laughs> You know, like you said, creating a completely new character. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, that's maybe what it was. I don't know. I just, that was yeah. my big deal, so. Nice. I, um, my only, like, gripe with the film was, um, and it sounds weird because there's a lot of ridiculous stuff, like Harley Quinn has a pet hyena in this movie and stuff, but I, at certain points it didn't feel as comic booky as I wanted it to, and I know, like, People have different opinions on that whole concept in general, but I think um, a lot of the action scenes didn't feel ca like a superhero or comic booky sort of scene to me. Like a lot of it, kind of, and this might sound weird, but kind of reminded me more of like the tone you'd get of, of like an action movie in like a Guy Ritchie film or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, I think by the end, <laughs> by that last fight scene, when Harley Quinn's in roller skates and there's the car chase and stuff, like. That's exactly what I want to see, and like a like the exactly the kind of fight scene I want to see in a Harley Quinn movie. So that was awesome. I agree, and that was really cool. Like I said, overall the movie was I enjoyed, but I, I cannot forgive them for what they did to Cassandra Kane. So, um, <laughs> and for the and for the non-readers, it's a moot point because they don't know any better. But for those of us who've been following the comics for so long, sorry, <laughs> uh, you guys messed yeah. up bad. Um, all right, man, you want to get to some news? Yeah, sounds good. Sweet. Um, all right, first news story up on the docket is, uh, we have a couple small ones, and then that one big one we talked about at the top of the show. Um, Scott Pilgrim's going to be back in theaters. <laughs> what the heck? 
So I brought this up before the show, and you said you weren't talking about it. Yeah, no, I just I figured I'm like, why not? It's small. Um, <laughs> it's a small one. I really don't know why. That's the thing. I haven't really been able to find a good reason why, but I have a feeling there's an argument of when theaters open, how are we going to get people back in theaters? Because you're not going to see box office returns for a bunch of things, and that's why like Black Widow got pushed back. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. I think it's really exciting. I don't know if it's uh, if it's a 10-year anniversary of Scott Pilgrim or something like that, but uh, I would love to see this movie in theaters again. I had such a blast the first time. Um, and I don't know if they're doing this because Scott Pilgrim's kind of a newer cult film where they know people will show up to see it. I'm not really sure. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. If you don't have access to watch Scott Pilgrim at home, go to the theater if you're brave enough to do so. Uh, because Scott Pilgrim's <laughs> awesome, and we've talked about it and blown it up in the past. So, um, nice. All right, uh, here you go, man. Next news story. This one has me interested. Um, Arrow showrunner Mark Guggenheim is writing the Spider-Man spinoff Jackpot for Sony Pictures. Um, I don't know much about the character Jackpot. Um, that's, not, that's not really in my vernacular the way I probably could be, but... Um, it, I thought it was really kind of cool because Mark Guggenheim is, um, he's fantastic. So. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Do you have I any thoughts? Kind of, no, I'm kind of the same way. Like, I don't know much about the character, so I don't have too much to say about this one. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no, it's totally fine. I just was like, it, he's he's a cool writer and he has a cool idea, so I thought you might have something to say on it, so. Yeah. Um, that's it? That's all you got? Okay. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, okay, you ready for, um, did you hear the news about Batwoman? Uh, yes, actually I did hear this one, but go on. Uh, any, any thoughts on this? Um, I haven't watched, so, Ruby Rose is leaving the role of Batwoman. Yeah. Um, and I Before I, season I two, so season one will end and she's gonna leave, so I have a quote from her and everything, but go ahead. I haven't, uh, watched any of Batwoman yet, so I don't have a big opinion on it i think um if they're gonna try to find somebody else with as much star power um i mean good luck sort of thing but i also don't know like does batwoman have a huge cult audience that's gonna be like really picky about who's playing that role or i mean i think you would have more of an opinion on it than i i would well they haven't mentioned casting at all yet the um the what I can tell you is, so here's what I got. So it says, the report says, uh, Batwoman Shocker Ruby Rose exits CW drama ahead of season two. Producer Warner Brothers uh, says the role will be cast when the show returns in 2021. So the role will be cast, uh, recast that is. Um, Ruby Rose says, I have made the very difficult decision to not return to Batwoman next season. This was not a decision I made lightly as I have the utmost respect for the cast, crew, and everyone involved in the show in both Vancouver and Los Angeles. I am beyond appreciative to Greg Berlanti um, and the crew um, for not only giving me this incredible opportunity, but for welcoming me into the DC universe they have so beautifully created. Thank you, Peter Roth and Mark uh, Petowitz and the team at Warner Brothers and CW who put so much into the show and always believe in me. Thank you to everyone who made season one a success. I'm truly grateful. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't really say why she's leaving. Um, so, yeah, that's all I got to say about it. I really liked her performance, so. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's sad to hear. Um, like, if if you thought she was a good good at playing the character, like it's definitely sad to hear. Um, yeah, it's just I feel like it's really vague too, <laughs> sort of thing. But yeah. Um... Well, we'll see how that all plays out. Um, I haven't finished Batwoman uh, um, season one yet, um, so when I get to that finale, um, I'll let you know how it yeah. plays out. And in terms of, because I hope they kind of, I hope they write it into the show. So if the ending of the show has, if the ending of the season allows them to play with it a little bit, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. So, like, what kind of reason do you think they would give though? I have no idea, man. She <laughs> <laughs> so got accident and need yeah, plastic I, surgery or something. I, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they've they've recast a couple roles, like Sarah Lance on the Arrow, on Arrow, who's now on Legends of Tomorrow, that got recast. Um, mm-hmm. So, and it got recast, so, like, the girl you saw as Sarah Lance in episode one of Arrow was a, di- it was a different actress, and they had to reshoot that scene. Oh, man. Okay. And, and they actually yeah. had to reshoot that scene with the new actress, um... And it was just, it was fine because I like Caddy lots a lot, but, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I completely forgot about that arrow thing, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so let's move on. Um, so did you hear, um, I think that's the next story I wanted to touch on. Okay, yes. Um, did you hear that Timothy Oliphant is, could, is going to be joining the cast of The Mandalorian? Yeah, I actually did hear okay. about this one, too. <laughs> This is cool. Um, I like Timothy Oliphant, and uh, he's done a lot of Western stuff, and this is, like, the perfect place um, for him to, like, this is, like, the, one of the perfect things, like, because he, he's done Western stuff, and now he's going to do, um, now he's going to do Space Western. <laughs> um, so, it does say, uh, Timothy Oliphant will reportedly play character Cobb Vanith in The Mandalorian Season 2. I'm sorry if this is spoilers, but this is all rumor, nonsense, and it's some of it's got to be like true because um, the season has already been shot. So um, a former slave, he's a former slave who becomes a sheriff and obtains Boba Fett's armor. Now we mentioned that Boba Fett's going to be in the season uh, to what capacity. We don't know um, how mangled is Boba Fett's armor going to be. Um, well, go watch Return of the Jedi, pay attention to how Boba Fett went out and um, make decision for yourself as to how you think that's going to play out. So, um, <laughs> right on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I think all I heard was that he would be wearing Boba Fett's armor, but I didn't know if that was confirmed or that was a rumor. That's a, um, it's a rumor. And, um, what I think is interesting about it is people, I saw, I saw one report that someone's like, I guess he's going to be Boba Fett then. Um, if you pay attention, he wouldn't be Boba Fett. Tamara Morrison, who's already been announced to play Boba Fett, will be playing Boba Fett because Boba Fett's a clone of Jango Fett, who was played by... Tamara Morrison. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, no, he wouldn't be Boba Fett. But wearing Boba Fett's armor, um, how did he get it? That'd be an interesting story. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it'll be cool to see how it plays out. I'm also curious if um, if Boba Fett's armor is, in fact, mangled. Like, why is he wearing it necessarily? <laughs> you know? Right. Does it just look badass, or is there a reason for it? And uh, stuff like that, so. Yeah. All right, man. Are you ready to talk about the big one? Yes. The actual big one? <laughs> All right. So, um, let's see here. There's, like, multiple places to this, um, and I want to make sure. Okay. So here, you know what? There's no way of saying it. The Snyder Cut's coming for real. 
period. Heck yes. Heck yes. Okay, so let's break this down. We are actually getting the Snyder Cut. This is what we were so excited about at the beginning of the uh, top of the show. We've been talking about this ad nauseum. So let me break down to what I do know. Uh, Zack Snyder hosted a online um, video streaming. Uh, he screened Man of Steel uh, online, and he did a live Q and A during the film. And he basically did it with he watched the movie with commentary and did it and everything. And then as a special guest, he brought in Henry Cavill to do answer, question and answers with the fan. And eventually, um, the question got asked: Please release the Snyder Cut, or are you going to release the Snyder Cut? Um, and he, and Zack Snyder said, well, that's, that's a great question. And he said, Henry, what do you think I should do? And Henry said, and I quote, I think you should release the movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said, I'm glad you agree because that's what we're going to do. Um, so that's awesome. yeah, exactly. And everyone kind of went ape shit and the internet is going ape shit. Like everyone is like super, super excited. That's cool. It makes me wonder if they planned to announce it that way. It seems like it because if they're doing a Q&A, you know there's going to be questions, not even just like one question. There's going to be tons of questions about the Snyder Cut. So like they knew it was going to happen and they revealed, you know, that that it's going to be released in a really natural way, even though I feel like it was planned out. Yeah. And um, and I just it's it's so Oh, dude, I just, there's so many words. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's what, so here's the details. We know that it's going to release on HBO Max in 2021. So I guess I'm getting HBO Max. Um, <laughs> yeah. I hope they, I do hope they release a hard copy because I want this on my shelf. Um, Absolutely. I, I have considered the possibility of the, what if it sucks? <laughs> um, you know, what if, because the Justice League movie we got, we know it wasn't the intended version of the film. And I'm going to get to the intended version in a minute, but we know it's not the intended version of the film, and we know that uh, um, many things were changed. So I would, and because of box office returns, um, I just hope that they release it on Blu-ray because, regardless, I want it on my shelf. I want it with the collection, um, so I can at least get my hands on it. Um, so they said it's going to release in uh, HBO Max in 2021, which is cool. They're probably because HBO Max releases real soon here, and I have a feeling they want to get some bugs out before they release this movie. Um, so I, I can appreciate that move. Um, now, what do we do now? So did they mention a month? Okay, the Snyder Cut. Oh, no, I'm going to save that for a second. Um, okay, because I saved a couple things, and it's literally like, it's coming! <laughs> So I guess Zack Snyder screened his version of the film with to the Warner execs before the decision was made. Now here's what we know. Let's recap this. Here's what we know. Zack Snyder shoots Justice League. He shoots Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and Justice League. They finish shooting Justice League, and he's in the editing phases. So he has a cut ready to go of the movie. And um, his daughter, sadly, commits suicide. Zack Snyder has to leave the project to deal with that and be with his family. I mean, that's a horrible thing to deal with. So, and I don't know whose decision this was, but either Warner Brothers or Zack Snyder, someone said, why don't we have Joss Whedon come in and edit, the, do the final cut of the film? Well, everyone knows Joss Whedon from doing such a wonderful job on the first two Avengers films, so he should know how to handle this, right? Joss Whedon comes in and orders so many, so many reshoots 
that from what reports are saying, it is 90, the cut we got is 90% different than the footage that Zack Snyder is using. Yes. We also know that Zack Snyder's cut of the film is an hour and 20 minutes longer than the, than the cut we got. So we went from a two-hour movie to a three-hour and 20-minute film for Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League. So all the reports are saying that it wasn't just an alternate cut, it's a completely different movie. Yeah, absolutely. And from what I've heard, um, even the parts of the film that uh, Zack Snyder shot that Jess Whedon used, um, I guess he even changed parts of that where he changed, like, color grading and uh, certain scenes uh, supposedly took place at night. I mean, you can tell from the original trailers yeah. for the movie that they take place in night, at night, but they did color correction to make it so those scenes took place during the day. Um, from what I understand, Steppenwolf is supposed to have a completely different look as far as like the color and textures of his skin and his costume, and it's right. all these different factors that you, you wouldn't think it's it would change the movie that much, but I think it really does, especially well, from like a tonal standpoint. This also um, means that this also means that Dark Side will be in the movie. Oh yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. This also means that, and they've and they've included this. It will include the original post-credit scene, which I did not know that Joss Whedon altered the post-credit scene. I'm trying to remember. Was the post-credit scene in Justice League the one with uh, Deathstroke? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, so that one will be, that'll be the, uh, the, the original one will be put back in. Um, yeah. So fantastic. Um, I'm just, I'm just so excited. And it was interesting when I got, when I saw the news about this, I'm excited like this. Um, this takes me back to, so you can understand my level of excitement because we're going to, we're going to get this intended cut. We're going to get the, uh, we're going to get Zack Snyder's vision. Cause you got to remember Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman and Justice League were meant to be a trilogy. And, and that is hugely important to understand. So I'm probably going to leading up to the Snyder cut release, watch Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman and Justice League. Oh, um, absolutely. At least that's my plan. Yeah. Um, and though I can watch them you know, back to back to back, um, and see how it plays out in, in the intended way. But to understand my level of excitement, I'm going to take you back to, um, 2013. Is that right? Yeah. 2013. 2013's Man of Steel. Yeah. But that's when they announced new Star Wars movies were coming because Disney bought Lucasfilm. Okay. So, you can say what you want about the Disney slate of Star Wars films. You like the movies, you didn't like the movies, that's irrelevant. The day they made the announcement for the new Star Wars movies, everyone was excited about new Star Wars. And that is how I feel about this um, as of right now. So. Absolutely. I, um, I'd say I feel a similar way. Um, I remember I've had like such a weird relationship with these movies because I, I love... Zack Snyder's movies so much and I remember seeing Batman v Superman in the theater and thinking it was the great it was like the greatest superhero movie if not one of the greatest movies I've ever seen and leaving the theater and everybody I came with didn't like it and I was so confused and I feel like it was like for a couple of years afterwards I was dealing with this thing where I love it so much but everybody I talk to doesn't and it was really frustrating and I remember feeling so cheated when 
we didn't get Zack Snyder's original version of the Justice League because I wanted to see how that trilogy played out. I was like, this is my favorite trilogy so far I've ever seen, and I want to see how it plays out. And it, we didn't get the final product that was intended. And then it went on to, I remember signing the petition online to tell Warner Brothers that the Snyder Cut needs to be revealed and all this stuff. And I think that was back in, when did, uh, when did Justice League come out? Was it 20... Um, I can look, I can, uh, let me look that up real quick. You keep talking, but let um, me keep that up. But, but it, it's been, a, I feel like, a couple years now since, you know, that original, like, push. 2017. Like, I signed, 2017, and, like, signing the petition, and, you know, like, a lot of people I follow on Twitter are just kind of, like, Snyder Cut supporters and kind of following all the steps in this progression of, like, all the things that have needed to happen and all the things people were trying to have happen so we could actually just see this movie. And it's finally been announced. And it's almost like before now I kind of got jaded because if you pay attention to the timeline and you've been following these movies as closely as like you and I have, Drew, um, you know that the Snyder Cut did exist. Like, he yeah. did have a cut of the movie. And you just wanted to see that. And it was kind of this thing where I was like, I know it exists, but am I ever going to get to see it? And like, just hearing this news is like, I'm not necessarily the, I'm not necessarily the best with like showing emotions through, uh, like talking, but I'm super excited about this movie. And it's, it's such a relief and it's so rewarding to finally know this thing I love is going to be complete. And I'm not worried about whether it sucks or not. Cause I'm just like, it's awesome that we're actually getting this. And I don't know, I could go on and on, but I feel like, yeah, I'm just super pumped and like really, really happy about this news. Yep. Agreed all around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, you wanna? That brings us literally to the end of the news, because um, awesome. that's all we had. I literally had a couple things, and then all I really want, I'm like, we could have probably just talked about the Snyder Cut from the beginning and skipped everything else. <laughs> um, it's all good. But no, we're getting it. We win. Um, and this, I am interested to see what happens next, though. Not be, not with the Snyder Cut, but this is a thing where the internet said this needs to be a thing, and a major company bent. So, um, how many more petitions are like, how many more movements are we going to see to get something done? Um, but movie companies are scrambling right now because of theaters. So we might, we might see a little bit more, this needs to be a thing, you know, happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, real quick before we hit our list, speaking of this needs to be a thing, I sent you a link to a YouTube video. Did you watch it? Oh, I haven't watched it yet. I okay. know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, so I'm going to, so just so people know, this is a YouTube video. Go onto YouTube. This is amazing. Look up a video called um, uh, Danger Zone X-Wing. Basically, someone did, they took the Kenny Loggins song Danger Zone from Top Gun, and they did a supercut with Star Wars footage, and it's all X-Wing flying around, blowing stuff up, amazingness. Um, if it doesn't get you amped up, like, really amped up, you're just dead inside, and that's all. <laughs> um, but I've been saying, but I've been saying for years that we need a X-Wing. When they found out we were, they were going to do more, more Star Wars, and then the Disney Plus thing's happening, and they said that they wanted to do Star Wars television, I was like, the show you guys need to do is X-Wing. Yes. You, you have to do an X-Wing show. Now, we have, and I'm going to say this, we do have two 
untitled Star Wars television series in the works. Um, yeah. So we don't know what those are. But when I saw this video and I tweeted it out and said, everyone needs to watch this. We need this show on Disney Plus <laughs> ASAP. Disney retweeted it. Now, I don't know if that means anything. All I'm going to take it is Disney liked what I had to say. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to say if Disney comes out and says, hey, we're doing an X-Wing show, I'm going to say I was told first. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. And this is why Twitter is awesome. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, as much, as much bad things about the world there is right now, like, we have Twitter where we can talk to the movie studios and celebrities and our heroes on a daily basis, and it's pretty badass, so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, you want to talk the list? Yeah, let's go for it. Um, all right, man. So here we go. Uh, Ryan, uh, list time. So play the thing. And now for the top five. We're back. Uh, this is your pick. So yes. why don't you explain how this works? Because um, this list was ridiculous. Um, I'm going to say off the top of the bat that I found this incredibly difficult. Um, so, <laughs> I didn't know you were going to have such a hard time. This, you, like, you, I'm not going to lie, dude. You almost had me stumped on this one. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so, well, I'll preface it by saying, like, when I do come up with a list idea, um, one of the things where I'm like, when I'm debating, like, would this be a good list or not to do, I always try to think off the top of my head, how many, uh, how many picks can I think of? Just like off the top of my head, can I think of two or three, three or things, two or three things that might make my list? And if I can, I'm like, okay, this would be a good list to do because I've already got kind of like a direction going. I just need a couple more to round off my top, top five, whatever. Um. So this one, I did approach like that. I already had, like, a couple ideas. And uh, I had this idea a long time ago to do top five underrated movies, specifically. And I think that would be a fun list to do as well. But I kept thinking of, because I'm so into, like, I guess, like, obscure and, like, indie things, I was like, I kind of want to just open it up to, like, all media in general. And it doesn't have to be, and, like, underrated is such a subjective term. So just kind of... No kidding. Anything you think is... <laughs> overlooked or maybe just not talked about enough i thought it'd be fun to just delve into those things a lot of my list is just kind of stuff that i think has been slept on that um and you know might be just a, like a little more obscure than like a lot of people look at so i had a lot of fun with this list um but yeah i'm sorry that you had a hard no time you <laughs> you almost don't don't apologize because it was a challenge you just almost stumped me i'll be shocked if we match anything um oh yeah i highly yeah. Doubt. I, I highly doubt we will either, but I'll be shocked if we match anything. Um, so, yeah, I have no uh, honorable mentions, so I don't know about you. I have two. Okay. Um, I'll try to make it quick. So, the first one I have is a comic book um, called Bad Kids Go to Hell. And okay. And it's basically... The, the plot of this comic book is basically um, Breakfast Club meets poltergeist i think it was pitched as where it's <laughs> a bunch of kids in saturday detention and they're a bunch of like snobby rich kids that like it's like right away you start to get annoyed with them but they end up having a seance and uh summoning like a supernatural force and from there they start to get 
picked off one by one. And it's just one of those like hilarious, like horror comedies in that way. Um, the guy who wrote the book actually went on to produce an independent film of this as well. And I've seen in recent years, I want to say I've seen one or other, one or two other, um, movies that tried to do the like horror version of a of the breakfast club but i'm pretty sure this did it before that because i bought issues of this comic at like i want to say chicago comic-con 2009 they were selling uh issues of this and so it's been it's been out for wow that's like at least 11 years now so yeah so that's my first one um i don't know if you have any comments or questions or if I not really because i don't not really because i just don't know the book so Okay, cool. And then my next one isn't so much, I don't think it's underrated, I just don't think it gets enough recognition, and uh, it's the anime Claymore. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this at all, Drew. Uh, nope. Okay, um, I think you would love this series. This is, um, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. It's a mid- medieval series about a... Uh, this like medieval countryside that's ravaged by these uh, monsters or demons called Yoma. Yep. And there's a, uh, there's this force of uh, like s- supernatural warrior women called cl- uh, claymores that fight against them. And it's just a lot of like badass fight scenes with these women with giant swords fighting these monsters. But it's a really cool story. It's got like a really cool vibe to it. Um, I know, Drew, I know with anime you prefer more realistic stuff, but knowing that you like Castlevania and stuff, I think you should definitely check out the series because it's, I think you would, I think you would really enjoy this one. And this is one that nobody hates on the series. Like online, most of the time I've seen people talk about it, they like it, but it's just one of those things where... Can you give me the title on that again? Just because I'm, just because I keep the list, I type everything down, so... Yeah, it's uh, Claymore. Like this, like the kind of sword claymore. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, I never see people hating on this. I just feel like it never gets a lot of recognition. It's never like somebody's favorite anime. Um, there's a manga series for this too, which I haven't read. I've heard mixed things, but I definitely want to delve into that at some point as well. So, and that's my honorable mentions. <laughs> um, awesome. Um, well, my first pick. Um is, uh, this is, so I have a couple that are in general, so bear with me on that. Um, I didn't go like as specific as pulling out titles, um, because I had a couple points and I thought about pulling out titles because when I was tackling this list, the weird part was I kept thinking to myself, well, no, there's a fan base for that. And no, there's a fan base for that. And there's users for that. And there's a cult (laughs) following for that. So maybe that's what he means by underrated. Like it was just, I kept batting these ideas around in my head and I'm like, that's not what we're talking about. Um, and then I have one that you're going to go, how is that underrated? But I have a reason when I say it. So, um, as we go through this, so one of them, uh, my first one, and I'm going to just say it what it is and we'll go with it is, uh, instrumental music. Um, and the reason I say this and I, and I thought about this because, you know, when you're having conversations at parties and stuff, and then someone, someone asks, you know, what kind of music do you like? Most people will say, oh, I like everything, a little bit of everything. And you'll say, really, who's your favorite composer? And they'll go, oh, I don't like that kind of music. (laughs) (laughs) Or if it's me, I ask them, what's your favorite death metal band? But yeah, exactly. Right. But (laughs) but it's like people like when it comes to music, it's like you want to it's it's like the person who like so 
Peter, you and I live in the Chicagoland area, so we have two baseball teams. Um, we have the we have a basketball team, we have a football team, we have a hockey team, all that stuff. And every now and then, there's someone who says, "I'm a Chicago fan," you know, and you're just like. Yeah, that's the guy who says, I don't actually have an argument, but I want to be part of the conversation. <laughs> right. Um, like, I don't, I don't pick between the White Sox and, and the Cubs because I'm a Chicago fan and I just want our teams to win. <laughs> um, yeah. No, pick a side. Um, <laughs> what they're really saying is, I'll take free tickets, whatever you have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically. So when I thought about the music thing, I was like, people, they always say they, they listen to a little bit of everything, but it's like they don't want to mention their actual taste in music because they're afraid someone's going to, like, tell them that their tastes are, like, they have bad taste in music. Oh, that's true, yeah. Um, and I think, and I honestly think that's where that comes from. So when I was thinking about instrumental music, I like, I really enjoy listening to film scores. Um, I've actually been listening to a lot of video game music in the car lately just because it's like I can ignore it and it's just kind of there. It's just background or, like, if I'm doing something, I'll put it on and it's just there. Um, it's just kind of space filler. Um, and the music industry has gone through such weird <laughs> amalgamations of things with Napster and like, you know, all the, the way internet, the, the way the internet kind of took over the music industry and no one can like actually make an album or create a music video really anymore. Um, yeah. but I was just thinking about it and I just think that, you know, when you mention instrumental music, people kind of bat an eye at it or they don't think to themselves, oh, I never thought to look at that. There are amazing, like, Guardians of the Galaxy has a great soundtrack, but the score is astounding, and people skip over the score because they're all focused on the music, the other music that they put in the movie. Um, you know, Star Wars, that soundtrack is iconic. Indiana Jones, that, su- that soundtrack is iconic. Uh, the 1989 Batman, that soundtrack is iconic. Uh, that Same thing with uh, Superman. Uh, the yeah. um uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman score. Those are amazing pieces of instrumental music, and they 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 have ebbs and flows, and they tell a story, and there's a language to it. Um, yeah, there's not lyrics, but the music is incredible. And I just think people don't give it enough time in the limelight or take enough time to look at it to see if they would appreciate it. Um, and that's why I say that. So. Yeah, and I, I think it's, um, it's something where people don't... Like, I don't listen to nearly as much instrumental music as I should, but I do enjoy it from time to time. time. But I think it's, there's something about putting on a movie soundtrack and going for a walk or a bike ride and kind of being in your own head and letting your imagination flow. And it's kind of a sensation that I feel like people are depriving themselves of if they never kind of enjoy that kind of music at all. Because you really can like kind of start playing a narrative through your head. Maybe I'm just like, I just enjoy letting my imagination go that way, but I feel like you probably know what I mean, Drew. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking of is, like, a couple years ago, I know, like, EDM, like, in general, like, you know, uh, all sorts of electronic music got, like, pretty, like, kind of saw a huge surge, but I don't think a lot of those fans necessarily translate over to, like, more of the classical-style composers or, um, like, movie soundtracks and stuff, but it's still kind of a cool um subgenre under the instrumental music that's kind of thriving as well yeah. so yeah and wow. you know there's um and ryan uh who edits the show he uh he i know i don't want to call it instrumental because he listens to like a lot of techno and like uh i don't remember what the term he used the last time we were talking music but a lot of it is like more of like a computer instrumental uh, like yeah. synth scores and stuff like that, and synth scores, holy crap, those are really cool. Like uh, Thor Ragnarok is 
almost primarily synth score, and it's amazing. Um, yeah. So, uh, and that's something that, um, and Ryan and I were talking about that a little bit a long time ago, but um, instrumental doesn't necessarily mean orchestra. Yes, um, absolutely. So, yeah, that's kind of what I was uh, trying to touch on, but um, yeah. Yeah, all right, that's what I had. So that, oh, your no, first sorry, pick. I feel like I might have interrupted you. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, went, I went on that for a little longer than I expected, so your first pick. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> okay, so my first pick is um, this movie called Art School Confidential. Um, I don't know, have you seen this, Drew? Uh, no. Okay, I don't even so know what it is. I don't even know what it is, so underrated. Oh, wow. Underrated, sure. So, yeah, yeah, so Art School Confidential came out, I want to say around 2006, 2007, and it's a, uh, it's a dark comedy about kids who go to art school, and uh, while these kids are going to art school, there is a murderer on the loose who is killing people around campus, so it's like one part kind of like just a fun, funny comedy movie about these kids in college, and it plays off of a lot of like art school tropes, but then it also has, you know, this ridiculous, like, murder mystery plot going on as well. Uh, this is a movie I've seen many times. I love this movie, but this is one of the ones where I kind of know why it's underrated, because anybody I talk to this movie about who went to art school loves this movie. Otherwise, I don't know if this movie is necessarily for everybody, because, like, I do think if you didn't go to art school, you still will enjoy parts of this movie, but... It's one of those things where so many of the jokes might just go over your head. Where, like, I'm somebody who has been to a lot of these art classes and, like, recognizes that, like, you know, this one teacher character in the movie is actually just like a lot of art teachers in college and how, like, the people in this movie are just like the kids I had in class and stuff like that. So this is definitely, like, a really fun one. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out, but I kind of understand why it's overlooked in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah, and I don't have a lot to say in it because I don't know the title. Um, <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I, I think you would enjoy this one too, Drew, because there are some like kind of film uh, nerd jokes in there as well that you'd probably enjoy. So. Right on. All right, so this one's a weird one for me to say, but um, you're going to understand after my uh, um, point. Um, and that is podcasts in general. Okay. Um, and I say that because I feel like there's po- there's a ton of podcasts out there, okay? Um, and podcasts, I think, it, it, what's interesting is in some, like, groups, in some circles when people talk about podcasts, they, I feel like podcasts are kind of, like, looked at, like, in a weird, like, oh, you have a podcast? <laughs> um <laughs> And I feel that um, you have that aspect, and then you also have the uh, radio stations that probably hate podcasts because they get paid to do that, and we're doing it for free, and we're, you know, and there, for a little while there, people were like, no, why would we listen to the radio when we have these podcasts out? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I think that, but what I discovered was, is every now and then people are like, oh, you have a podcast? How do I listen to that? How do I get on that? I should listen to that sometimes. And then do they listen to it? I don't know. <laughs> Um, it just, it kind of baffles me when someone's, when I hear, oh, I've always wanted to try out a podcast. I've never listened to it. I'm like, what? Like, and I know that like, it's this like thing that I'm into. So I'm going to listen to podcasts. But when, when you hear, oh, I should check that out. That's like the statement of I'm making a conversation, but I'm not actually going to do the thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so it's just, it's just weird to me. And when, and when people say they don't know how to do it, 
and I'll be like, you know, when they ask me where they can find our show, I'll say, you know, Google Stitcher, um, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. I'm like, Apple Podcasts, how do I get on Apple Podcasts? Well, it's probably on your phone already. You just didn't know about it. <laughs> like, yeah. So I don't know if you have anything to say to that. I just think it's weird sometimes when I get into conversations with people and they're like, what? How do I even look it up? How do I even find that? You know, so. Yeah. It's a weird thing because podcasts have been around for so long. And, yeah. Uh, like, it, you people get into their own bubbles where if you're in a bubble where you've got, like, all your really nerdy friends who you always talk to or you're really, like, you know, big, like, uh, aspiring comedian friends or something, you might, like, be super familiar with podcasts and feel like, oh, everybody has a podcast and everybody listens to podcasts. What are you talking about? But if you go to the random person at your local Target and ask them, like, hey, what's your favorite podcast? Like, they probably won't know what you're talking about. And it's kind of this, it's that weird dichotomy of, like, online, it seems like everybody's listening to this stuff. And then in real life, not everybody's listening to it. And then... Even further than that, there's, like, I always like to try out new new podcasts and search for, like, weird random ones that, I don't know, might just fit, like, a specific interest of mine or something like that. And then there's, like, a lot of people who only listen to, like, the biggest podcasts, you know, they're like, right. well, I listen to NPR and I listen to Joe Rogan and, like, you know, they kind of just listen to the huge ones and then some of us actually seek out, like... Right. The random, like, stragglers and stuff. So that's and, another dichotomy. And it's funny to me because when people mention the big ones, oh, I like this, I like Joe Rogan, and I'm like, you don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's like you listen to Joe Rogan, which is great, and he's got a great show, but it's like when you mention, that, when that name comes up, no offense to Joe Rogan because I know he's listening, um, <laughs> The uh, I just, I think to myself, oh, you don't actually listen to podcasts and you are benching this thing that's cool to join the conversation. Yeah. So, and it's just, I just think it's weird. So look, I to appreciate it. To those people, if you did listen to every episode of Joe Rogan, you probably wouldn't have time to listen to anything else. <laughs> very, very true. And, and to also be fair, look, I, we have, we have a lot of listeners. Um, our listener viewership keeps growing and I love it. And I'm glad you guys are here. I just think it's funny how people do that stuff sometimes. And I just feel that podcasts in general aren't looked at as this, like in, in some circles, it's not looked at as like a, a form of actual media. Um, so I just wanted, in a general sense, I feel like podcasting is a little underrated, but <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely agree. You're the one who put me in this position to talk about this stuff. So, <laughs> oh, no. um, all right, man, I what's, agree with it too. what's your next pick? So my next pick is a, uh, we're talking long on these, which is fine. I just, yeah, go okay. ahead. Uh, my next pick is, um, it's a Korean comic, uh, or manhwa, uh, which is called Banya, the Explosive Delivery Man. <laughs> so this is, I used to follow, I guess. Banya the like, what? So it's Banya, B-A-N-Y-A. Yeah, that's what I thought. The, I just, it was the, the rest of the title. Explosive Delivery Man. <laughs> okay. Um. So I guess I'll start the story of how I even know that this is a thing. So I used to I used to be like a huge like kind of just I don't want to say dark horse fanboy, but like I really appreciated dark horse comics as far as just like how they seem to be very indie minded and they put out a lot of weird books, you know, like anything from Hellboy to like just like all this weird stuff and they would uh, publish a lot of like manga and like overseas comics and stuff and i saw 
this uh, ad once, or I think it was a preview for this book called Banya, the Explosive Delivery Man, which was a Korean comic that they were publishing. And I was like, hmm, this looks cool. And what I noticed about it right away is the artwork's like super striking. And I read this preview of this comic, and it starts off with a castle getting like, um, like there's a bunch of people uh, storming a castle. So it's a huge army of like barbarians that are storming this castle and it's super violent and it's super chaotic. And there's one person in the crowd of like all these crazy barbarians who just looks like this normal, like young guy, you know, like this, this guy who looks like scrawny and small. And for some reason he's in this battle where all these barbarians are storming the castle. And the reason he's in the battle is because he has a package that he needs to deliver to somebody inside the castle. And the scene plays out where it shows all these crazy tricks and all these like crazy things this guy has to do to get inside the castle to deliver this package while there's a battle going on around him. And I was like, this comic is awesome so far. Like, this is so cool. It's such a creative idea. And it's, uh, it's one of those things that a couple years later, I found the, uh, the full series at anime central at like a used manga booth. And so I ended up picking it up and reading it and it was, it's really enjoyable and it's literally about what I just said. Like it's kind of this weird post-apocalyptic slash medieval landscape where there's a lot of crazy stuff going on and there's this amazing delivery man at the center of it. And it's kind of like all the stories and all the adventures he goes on. And it's, the stories are super clever. The artwork is really, really awesome. Like I can't stress, like I, I love the artwork in this book. And it's one of those things that I don't know anybody else who's read it. I don't, I've never heard it mentioned, but I've loaned the books out to a couple people. Everybody I've told it about, told uh, about the series seems to love it. So it's just kind of one of those things like, why don't more people talk about this one? So yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah, that's, and that's the whole point. <laughs> I, I know I know you don't have much to say about that because you haven't I don't think you've read it at least, but yeah, it's just it's pretty cool series. Yeah. Um okay. Uh so my next one is uh, let me take a look here. Okay. Yeah, I'll save those two for last. Okay, so my next one, and this is a weird one for me to mention, so bear with me, um, is board games. And when I say that, I'm kind of specifically focused on tabletop gaming. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was thinking about this because I I really like playing games. Like, okay. So the term gamer. If you own an Xbox or a PlayStation and you play Madden football and Call of Duty and call yourself a gamer, you're not a gamer. Um if you own an Xbox and a PlayStation and you play Call of Duty, Madden, Halo, Diablo, um, Elder Scrolls, have a PC and you play World of Warcraft, you break down on the table and you play Dungeons and Dragons and you play Risk and you play um, uh, Star Wars Imperial Assault or you play Star Wars X-Wing or you play Pathfinder or you play GURPS or you play, you know, you see what I'm getting my point? Yeah. Like, like you can call yourself a gamer if you cover all the bases. Call yourself a gamer. Um, and, uh, I was thinking about this, um, when, uh, I was putting this list together because I know Dungeons and Dragons has this, like, it's got a bit, it's got a massive following, probably bigger now than it ever has. But what I think is interesting about Dungeons and Dragons is when it comes up in conversation at a party, there's at least one person in the group who will go, 
I always wondered about that. How do you how do you start playing that? Like that's the question. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you got to find yourself a group, and then it goes from there. Um, so Dungeons and Dragons, almost even though it's as popular as it is right now, has this weird um, underground following where you got to know how to get into it to get into it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and I always thought that was interesting. But then think about other tabletop gaming. And when I say tabletop gaming, I am not talking about Clue and Monopoly and Sorry and Trouble. I get very bored with those games real quick. Um, I, yeah. also, I also get very bored with party games. You can only you can only play uh, Cards Against Humanity so many times before you're like, let's move on. Um, but no, like the, the games that are complicated, the games that make you think, um, Ticket to Ride is a great example of a game that, um, everyone should get, like, it's one of those games where like you've played your normal games with your group of friends and you're looking for something new and exciting. Play Ticket to Ride. It's a really good game and it kind of makes you think outside the box in terms of tabletop gaming. Um, but I just thought, you know, I just, you know, you look around and you go to conventions and everyone's in the same mindset you are. You know what I mean? And you're like, hey, there's the Dungeon Dragon group over there. You know what I mean? And you could just go in and do a pickup game. Or, hey, here's the guys playing Magic over here, and that's going on. Uh, you have conventions like Gen Con, which are specifically designed for gaming. Um, you know, uh, walking through C2E2 this past, uh, this past year, they have the gaming booths all over the place where you can buy these games that you see online. Um, there's a lot of games I've discovered just because I was like, this looks good, and I'm going to pick it up. Um but I just think that in a general sense, most people I talk to don't know how, like, they just don't, when you say let's play a game, it's like their mind automatically goes to, well, I don't really want to play Monopoly or Battleship, you know? <laughs> um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I know you know what I'm talking, I know you know where I'm going with this, so. Yeah, um, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to really, I guess when you're talking about it, I was thinking about how, like, I actually do enjoy party games and stuff, but I do know what you mean, because when you play a more complex game, um, there's often, like, a lot more just, like, immersion that happens, and it can actually be really exciting, and it's kind of, uh, there's a lot of strategic uh, moments that you might have never had if you were just playing party games the whole night with your friends, and I think, right. to me, the perfect game night is when you play one or two sort of, like, more intense, more complicated uh tabletop games and then maybe you round the night off with a party game whenever oh, yeah. brain is kind of tired and stuff and then you play the party game and everybody's just ready to get silly well and, we uh, had enjoy a game that way. we had uh this was a long time ago we had a group of friends get together for a game night that was what we were saying game night and a lot of times when people say game night they're automatically going to like party games well we yeah. sa we sat down and we played a like an actual like strategic <sighs> board game and then, yes. and then we played a couple hands of Cards Against Humanity. And then we played another crazy, complicated strategic board game. And then we played a, and then we played a round of Munchkin. And then we played, you know what I'm saying? Like we played all these, we played a lot of various different types of games that night. It was a long night, but it was awesome. Um, okay. And we had a really good time. My problem with party games is think about Cards Against Humanity and how that plays. Almost every party game. Is Cards Against Humanity in a different form, and I think that <laughs> at this point, yes. <laughs> and I think that, and I think that's why I get bored with them so much. Um, and I'd rather, and it, what's been nice about, and you know, I, I've been playing D and D virtually, but what I love is we had some nasty storms roll through the Chicagoland area recently, and all I could think is, wait, we're stuck inside and it's raining. Who wants to play D and D? 
You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing else to do. Who wants to play? Um, (laughs) You know. He's really the perfect amalgamation of, like, every kind of tabletop game. You know, you have your strategic, like, uh, battle scenes. You've got your role-playing that, you know, kind of has you think on your feet like a party game. You've got, like, all these different aspects in this one thing, which is why, like, D&D is my favorite tabletop game that I've played, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's room for some others there, too. Right, and I just, and my point with tabletop gaming is I just think, in terms of it being underrated, I just don't think people think outside the box enough when someone says, let's do a game night. So, I just feel like, let's focus on other things. And if you go back to Thanksgiving-ish time period, I did a... I'd had to do a solo show because you couldn't be there, and the whole my whole list that night was on. Let's think outside the box and play some tabletop games, but different ones. So nice. I just don't remember what episode title that was. So, but you could go back and take a look. It was around Thanksgiving, <laughs> Christmas ish era. Yeah. Um, yeah, I <laughs> so what's what? <laughs> what's your next one? Okay, so my next one is a uh, another comic, uh, another comic book. This one's American. <laughs> uh, this is an uh, indie comic book called Bump. Um, this is a so I guess indie might not be the correct term. This comic is a horror comic that was put out by Fangoria Comics, which I don't think exists anymore. Like the magazine Fangoria still exists, of course, um, as far as I know at least. But the, they had a short. Um, run where they were publishing a bunch of horror comic books and it was very um their comics were very violent very explicit but very cool at the same time um and this comic definitely fits in um that same realm i think i bought this comic series at the same comic uh comic con that i bought bad kids go to hell at which i mentioned earlier yeah but this is a story that um it's written and drawn by this guy, Mark Kidwell, who's uh, he's one of my favorite comic artists, but I, I haven't really seen him do anything for a while, but he was kind of known as, like, the horror guy. Like, he did a couple different comics based on movies, and he kind of, like, all his stuff kind of was very horror-based, but he's got a really cool, crisp style. And this is a story that's, um, I don't know what it's like, because I've read interviews with the guy, and he said he started it trying to tell a ghost story, but it actually turns into this weird, crazy monster movie that's, like, really sort of, like, hardcore horror, I guess. So it's, like, violence level, it's probably the levels of, like, Saw or Hostile. Like, this is really hardcore. So if you do dig this up, I just want to warn you about that. But the reason why (laughs) I love this series so much is that it actually delivers as far as the scares go. Like, while I was reading this comic... I was actually feeling freaked out. I was actually feeling frightened. And that's something that's hard to do in comic book form. That's something that it's, it's really hard to do because you can, most of the time you can always see, see what's coming next. So jump scares don't really work. And he somehow found a way to do in this story, um, to actually pull that, this off. Um, I realize I've kind of been rambling on and I haven't really talked about the plot of the story, but I think, from what I remember, it was basically about, it was kind of like a uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of um, situation where there was kind of like this deranged uh, farm family, and uh, one of the members of the family was um, killing people and using their <laughs> their souls to inhabit these weird wooden dolls that he would create, and these wooden dolls became like 
his creepy army that he would attack people with and stuff. And it's pretty cool conceptually, but it definitely is very dismal and dark and violent. So yeah, but I really like this one. So right on. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you mentioned, um, when you mention uh, comic books, like the, the fact that the book was able to make you feel that way, yes. um, early, there was some early parts of walking dead that um, I don't know if I felt scared so much as it really made my stomach churn when I was reading certain parts and I'm like, this is like it, it just cause of the subject matter um, yes. and what they, and some of the emotional stuff they were dealing with. And then um, there's a couple parts in the Watchmen that got me um, that got me on that level. Um, but yeah, not many, not many comic books get me there um, like that uh, so much as I have like I, a lot of the books give me like an emotional reaction, but in terms of like that scared feeling, I haven't, I haven't gotten that from comic books very much. So absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a very hard thing to do. And even the old, like, tales from the crypt comics and stuff like that like a lot of times you read them and they're just kind of funny like they're definitely fun to read but most of the time they don't actually scare you um some of the more like some of the ones with more darker subject matter is kind of just very ominous and that kind of gives you a scared feeling but as far as like it's very rare that a comic makes you jump (laughs) right right all right uh that go to me All right, so my next one for the night is, uh, I've mentioned this guy before, Um, he's my favorite author, uh, Matthew Riley, Um, so when I'm bringing him up specifically, it's his entire library, his books, Um, so the Matthew Riley books is my underrated piece of media for this pick. Um, I've mentioned him before, uh, some of the books that he's uh, read, like I talked about um, Secret Runners in New York back when that came out recently, um, and his Jack West series, he... um, it's very clear. This is a guy, I think, who really understands... He understands how to write action in a way uh-huh. that I don't think most screenwriters know how to write action. Um, and it's very... And he writes his books as if they should be movies. Every book you read of his, you're going to say, why is this not a movie? Like, I feel, that, I feel that way every time I finish one of his books. Why is this not a movie? Or why is this not a television show? And it's the way he writes. He puts this, it's, everything is descriptive just enough for you to see it in your mind. And like, even if you're like, well, I don't usually get a lot out of books imaginative, you know, if you're one of those people that's like, I don't like to read, I don't really, like, I can't really see it in my head, that kind of thing. This guy, like, it's the way he brings, like, everything I see in my head, everything makes sense uh, visually in my mind's eye, I guess the way I'm wording it. And he writes in a way that every single thing that happens to every single character is on an emotional level for you as a reader. Like, almost like you're living it along with the characters. Um, and you just literally sink into it. And um, he has this two uh, series. He has a series called the Scarecrow series, which is very military action. Um, and then he has the Jack West series, which I would liken, I've mentioned before, but I liken it to like a modern day Indiana Jones those are the two long-running series he has. Um, there are relationships in those series that I've been more invested in than almost anything I've seen on, like, a movie or a television show. Reading these books, I'm, I'm just... You're literally like, I, I, I need to know what happens to these characters on that emotional level throughout their relationships. It's, it's incredible what he's done. He has a handful of solo novels as well, um... I'm going to highly rec. I mean, obviously you should check out the series that he does, the Jack West series or the Scarecrow series. 
Um, but I do want to recommend uh, Secret Runners in New York once again, and I want to recommend a book he has called The Tournament. Um, it's probably one of my all-time favorite books, period. Um, and it's about, uh, it's about a chess tournament that was thought to have existed in Persia in uh, 1546. Um, there's no record of it existing. It's a legendary. It, history has it as an actual legendary chess tournament that was never recorded. Um, okay. So because the first one, the first recorded one, took place in France, but apparently there's one that happened in Persia. So what Matthew Riley did is he basically did a bunch of research trying to figure out everything he could about the tournament, and then crafted a fictional story around it. So it's basically a historical fiction. Um, and some of the players, like, for example, Queen Elizabeth I attended the tournament as a spectator when she was 11 years old. Um, and oh, the, I love that kind and, of stuff. And the book is actually told from her perspective, um, which makes it even more incredible. Um, the other thing that's really cool is uh, one of the characters in the book is Ivan the Terrible, who was also, nice. who was also of her age as a spectator at the tournament. So... When you see how it all, like, the way it all plays out, it's just incredible. And one of the things, and I don't want to say he does twists, quote-unquote, but what he does do is, um, when he does put a twist, I always feel, as a fan of his work, I should see it coming. Because when you're a fan of someone's work, yeah. when you're a fan of someone's work, you start to understand their visual language or their uh, literary language or how they plan stuff out. You start to see behind the scenes, like, you start picking it apart and like, oh, wait, I know how, I know what he's going to do. Yes. Every time he puts in a twist, I get mad at myself that I should have seen that coming. <laughs> but the, problem, um, the thing is, you're a fan of it, so you're enjoying him taking you right. on this journey, and you're not picking it apart because that's not what a fan would do. Like you're just enjoying the story, and so that totally makes sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that was my pick for the night: the Matthew Riley books. So I mean, yeah, it sounds really cool. I. You talking about like Queen Elizabeth and Ivan the Terrible at this like ancient chess tournament? <laughs> like that's that I just love that sort of stuff, and I don't know why, but um, like I've talked about the series eleven twenty two sixty three on the podcast before. But one thing I liked about that is seeing like historical figures, and like even though you know it's not what these people were actually doing at the time, it's kind of like it's so it really captures my imagination where it's like, oh, so and so was doing this. <laughs> you know, at this event, and it's just, it's just really interesting to think about that sort of thing, uh, the other thing I was going to say is, like, this chess tournament, history recognizes it, but they just don't have all the details, so it's, it's kind of a lot like Mortal Kombat, right, um, like, it really happened, it's just kind of stricken from the history books, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's night? what's cool, though, is when you're reading the novel, and you find out why it probably didn't get recorded, that's what, Ooh, okay. you know what I mean? Like, why was it stricken from the history books? And like, and it's not, bla he doesn't blatantly say this is why, but you're reading it and you're like, oh yeah, there's no way they would have wanted this to get out kind of thing. So, yeah. I <laughs> um, history is written by the winners. Right? History is written by the, written by the winners. So yeah. Um, and that, and I don't want to say that it has anything to do with the losers. I'm just saying like, there's, there's more to it, but it's an, it's an incredible, incredible novel. And, um, I think it's, I think it's a little over, maybe like 350 pages, I think. I read it in probably two days. Like, I, I could not put the book down. <laughs> and nice. and usually when he has books come out, everything in my life has to stop so I can read his book. 
Um, and so Matthew Riley, I hope you're listening, but that's, that's how it is for me. Um, the only, the thing that bugs me though, is when I mention his name, people don't know who he is. They don't know what books I'm talking about. Um, I've turned a couple people onto him and said, you should read this book. You, you know, and they've taken my advice. Um, I just, I I wish that's exactly what this list is for though, is the stuff that like, I'm sure this guy has a dedicated fan base, but he I does. Mean, it's still it's still something that like not a, not the common person knows about. So it's definitely underrated. And I'm just thinking about like hopefully some of our listeners are like writing down some of these suggestions and they'll like I mean I don't know if we'll hear from them, but you know, they'll be like, "Oh, I'm really glad that they talked about this thing. This is one of my favorite things now." Sort of sort of situation. So Right. Um, yeah, I can go on. I could literally do the whole show on Matthew Riley if you wanted me to, but, um, I'm not going to do that to you. So, um, <laughs> and we are surprisingly actually running long. So go ahead. Cause we got a couple yeah, more, we got a couple more. Time I figured about. we were. So, uh, my second to last pick is a, uh, it's another Korean comic book and, uh, this one's called priest. Um, and this is, do you um, remember? I, I know, I know priest. So, yes. So they, they, they made a movie called priest Yeah. starring, uh, Paul Bettany, is that his name? I think I have that right. Um, uh, yep, and but, um, but, Maggie Q is in it, too. Okay, right. And uh, this was a movie about, it was kind of like a futuristic western. Slash where, vampire hunter movie? Well, then I, was, I was getting to that. There's a, okay. a group of priests who fought against vampires. Yep. Very, very cool movie. It's very neat. And this movie is, and I say this in quotes, based on this Korean graphic novel called of the same name. The problem is, the comic is so far away from what the movie is. Because what the comic is, is actually closer to Spawn. Like, plotline <laughs> is very similar to Spawn. That's a really good, place, that's a really good point. And, and it takes place as like a, in like a spaghetti western sort of setting. So it's this old school western with, and it's about this guy who, if I remember correctly, his wife dies, and to bring her back to life, he sells his soul to a demon. And basically the point of the story is he has to go and fight this demon, and he's going to have to eventually fight the devil himself in order for him to come back to life and be once again reunited with his wife. Um, the creator of the series, um, if you... If you ever come across, like, the uh, paperback, like, manga collections of these, there's a couple, like, interviews at the end of each volume that interviews the creator of the series, and he's talked about how he's actually really influenced by Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo and uh, Spawn and the Creech and, like, all that good stuff. So the plot of this being based or being really closely related to Spawn is kind of, like, a no-brainer. Um the thing is, this comic's really cool. It's like this cool, like, there's all these cool supernatural western fights. Um, it's got this really gritty, scratchy art style. And it's just like, I mean, like a western version of Spawn, that sounds awesome. And the main character, Ivan Isaacs, who Paul Bettany is based on in the movie, he looks like super cool in the comic. He looks cooler than Paul Bettany does in the movie. And it's it's this weird thing where Paul, Be- <laughs> Paul Bettany is like a no-brainer to play the guy based on how he looks in the comic. It's just, <clears throat> right. this is what, like, as an actor, he looks so much like the character, but then the movie came out, and it was so far removed from the comic. And, like, I like the movie. It's just not the same. So 
I was specifically talking about the comic for that pick. So sure. I don't know. That's about all I have to say about it, I guess. I don't want to ramble too long. No, you're totally but... fine. I don't, I, I, when I saw the movie, I kind of just wanted it to be better. um it wasn't bad it just i wanted it to be better so um but yeah right and and that's how i felt too but the the comic is awesome (laughs) all right you want to hear my last pick for the night and it's kind of controversial and you might laugh with a big question mark on your head sure comic books okay okay um comic books in a general sense i feel are underrated and this is why i say this there's not enough readers um, and I know that there are, I know there are millions of people out there that read comic books. I go to the conventions. I know you people, we all read, right? I get that. Um, but because of the movies, so many people don't read comic books. I have so many conversations on such, uh, almost, almost daily that I have to reference the comic book and say, well, in this book, you know, that kind of thing, like, this is why it got changed and this is what it was. And like, or I'll make a recommend, or like, we'll be in a conversation about the movies, and like, you know, you really, based on just this conversation, you'd really like, you should check out House of M, for example, and I always, I'm always met with, yeah, I'll check it out, and then they don't go read comic books, um, (laughs) it's just, people just don't read, and like, I think that's really interesting, like, especially the people who get really, like, passionately argumentative about certain aspects in the comic book world, and they don't know what they're talking about, I've, I've had a few conversations where I'm like, you know, your point is predicated on the fact that you don't actually read comic books and your argument is, can only go so far. Um, and that's, that's one thing I think is just really interesting. So that's why I said, I think it's an underrated media because I don't think enough people give it the time of day that it deserves, especially the fact that the comic book movies pretty much run the industry right now. Um, and I mean, COVID may have destroyed that a little bit, but as of right now, comic book movies run everything. Um, yeah. So that's why I say that. I don't know if you want to add anything to it, but I just – too many people say I don't read comic books and, oh, I should check that out. I've been meaning to, but then they don't. And then, I mean, comic books, they're like the last print industry that really exists, to be completely honest. And it's yeah. a consistently growing industry. And, like, they don't have any reason to stop doing them do you know what i mean like it's just because of everything going on in hollywood they just they it's almost like they got a big second wind but i just don't think enough people are reading so i i agree with what you're saying um in a lot of ways i i do think comics is an extremely underrated medium i think not a lot not enough people read them at the same time i do think that part of that can be um the publisher's fault too i think that there's a big problem with uh accessibility to comic books because the problem is the random person like you tell them to go read house of m and they're and they're like okay yeah that actually does sound like something they they'd enjoy but then how are they going to get that comic it actually ends up being maybe a little bit harder like a lot more work than they necessarily want because like if i tell one of my friends like hey I just listened to this band's new album and it's awesome. And they're like, Oh cool. And they download it on their phone and they have it like two seconds later to listen to, but comic books, you can get it on your phone, but I actually personally, I don't really like the experience of reading comics on your phone. And so that's, it's just like, there's this, 
there's so many layers to this. I honestly like feel like we could do a whole show about this topic specifically. Like, are comic books underrated? Is it the audience's fault? Is it the publisher's fault? Like, there's so many different issues. But uh, to me, like, I do feel like you said, superhero movies are the biggest thing ever right now, and they're so popular. And I kind of feel like comic books need to be more accessible because. I almost feel like the publishers missed the boat a little bit where they should have had spinner racks of comic books in every like Walmart and and target across the country. Like, you know, eight years ago or whenever it was when the Avengers came out, (laughs) I do like, so not to cut you off, but I do agree with you to a point on the accessibility because I know that if I said, go read house of M and someone said, how do I get my hands on it? One, your library probably has it. Two, I could type House of M into Amazon right now and the graphic novel comes up. I could um, literally walk into a comic book store and say, hey, I want to read House of M, and the guy's going to point me to at least the trade. But, but, but the problem is comic book stores are few and far between. Like, true, true, but that's why I mentioned, that's why I mentioned Amazon. Like an hour yeah, I'm just saying that that's why I mentioned Amazon. So, um, But I know that there's ways to get it, and if someone said, how do I get my hands on it, I would point them in the direction of where to get it. So it's just, I just don't think enough people read and I read the comics in general. So yeah, that's, well, I, I also feel like some of these people might've never read a comic in their life. So they kind of don't understand the fun that they're missing out on. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to loan them their first comic. Like I, I a lot of people start with Watchmen and I actually don't know if Watchmen is the most accessible first read, but if you're like, Hey, you know, here's this comic, read it, let me know what you think, and then go from there. And if the person is a comic book reader, they're going to be like, hell yeah, that was awesome, give me some more stuff to read, or show me how to buy my own, you know? I don't um, point to Watchmen. Yeah. That's like, I use Watchmen, I think Watchmen's really heavy. What I like to do is say, who do you exactly. like? Exactly. Who do you like? Oh, you like Spider-Man? Cool. Here's uh, three books that I think are really cool you should check out. Mm-hmm. I've heard, um... Somebody, I almost want to say it was Dan Slott say once that his go-to is the first uh, couple volumes of, uh, was it Ultimate Spider-Man? Yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man, like the original comic. Oh, dude. Give them the first couple volumes, and it's super accessible. It's a super fun read. Ultimate Spider-Man, in the Ultimate series, Ultimate Spider-Man is probably my favorite. It's fantastic. Yeah, Um, and and, and you can see where that's like really like accessible to a new reader too so it's very accessible anyway that's that was my thing comic books is an underrated medium i know yeah. that it, i know that it kind of runs the world right now but i did people not enough people read and then they talk about they act like they know what they're talking about and they don't yeah and, and, which and, and drives me nuts opinion is like i absolutely agree with you um i just think it's like a very multi-tiered uh discussion that there's not an easy answer to but i think there's the reason they're not read is partially the audience fault and partially like the fault of like the distributors and the publishers and stuff like that. Yeah. But we can attack, we can, you know, attack that issue another day. Even right. Too, so <laughs> I know we can, um, was well, that, your number one pick that was my, that was my final pick. Time. So we are running long, so I don't want to cut you off, but tell me what your last one is and, uh, let's close this out for the night. Yeah. So I'll try to keep this one short. Um, this is the only TV series on my list, and it's a series that's on Netflix, and it's called Requiem. So this series, it's going to be hard to keep this short, but this is a really cool 
I want to say mystery series, um, and it's this story about there's it's a British it's a British series, and it's about this girl who lives she lives in the city, and she's a professional cello player, and uh, she grew up with um, with her mom, and she never knew her dad or anything. And early in the series, um, her mom passes away, so the girl goes to her mom's house and starts cleaning up the house and decide, you know, like, what do we want to keep? What do we want to throw away? You know, that sort of process. Yeah, yeah. And while she's cleaning out her mom's house, she finds a shoebox. And inside the shoebox, there's an article about a girl from some ta- some rural town that's miles away, some little girl who went missing. And there's a couple photographs, like, of the girl's parents and stuff. And it's just this weird thing where she's like, why does my mom have this? What what does this mean? So she starts to investigate this and she kind of gets led down this road to thinking like, is the woman that raised me my real mom? Like, or, you know, am I this girl who's gotten kidnapped? And she ends up going to the town where this girl went missing and she starts asking questions. And, uh, you know, the town people start getting upset because they're, and I promise I'm not going to go through the whole plot. It's just kind of like, trying to kind of explain what makes this series cool. Um, The town people start being like, who is this lady and why is she digging up, you know, these horrible things that happened in the past? Why is she raising such a fuss? Why is she getting everybody in the town upset? And it kind of goes from there. And it, it does this really cool thing where the main, the main character, this girl, she's from the city. Like I said, she has a very, um, like artsy edgy like haircut and look to her and it's kind of cool when she goes to this rural town she sticks out like a sore thumb and you got this really like this cool play of like everybody in this town versus this one girl and wherever she goes she just stands out and everybody's like oh there's that crazy girl stirring up controversy again and it's like it's a really you really start to identify with this woman but um the whole time, like, this mystery is being solved. There's also, and I don't know how to explain it, but you get this feeling just from the tone that there's some sort of supernatural aspect to the series. And I'll leave it at that, because right. I don't want to explain how it plays out, but it's this really good mystery series, and it was really cool. And I don't know anybody who's watched it. I've never, I've, I've recommended it to people, but I've never heard anybody else talk about it, and I feel like it's just this really cool series that just got totally slept on. So I can leave it at that. I don't want to spoil anything more. I mean, most of what I just said is kind of in the first episode of the series, but it's really good. Check it out. Requiem. I I will, because I also have to check out this Claymore series you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. I I really think you'll you'll like uh, Claymore, knowing the anime that you enjoy. Yeah, um, I'm going to check it out. So I'm going to... so yeah, all right, well that brings us to the end of tonight. Um, you ready to talk about next week? Yeah, yeah, what are we doing? So next week we are going to do what I'm referring to as a best of the best category. Okay. Um, so <laughs> we talked about this offline a little bit uh, just because I wanted to make sure we both could handle it. Um, so the Oscars, every year, they tell us what their best picture is, and we've talked about the um, if you make the list of nominees, you are a best picture, and they have to pick one, right? So... Um, the Oscars is, I mean, real close to turning 100, so this is a list that we could revisit, like, again, years down the road when they get more titles under it. But we're going to do, we're just going to look at the best picture winners. 
So like the, the, the movies that won Best Picture at the Oscars and what are our five favorites. Uh, I don't think, we don't need to rank these, just your five favorites of the Oscar films. So, okay. Of the Oscar, of the Oscar Best Picture. So beginning, so from Oscars year number one to whatever year we are right now, 90, whatever, um, those, of those movies, so like it's a tight list, it's only a list of like a hundred some movies, um, which will be nice uh, to do, so... we don't know man because they opened up the door for that streaming video so um or the yeah the, they opened up streaming movies to the rules now so for this one year so sonic might not be on it this year um <laughs> but yeah so we're gonna do best of the best next week um and that's my pick and then we'll go on from there we're getting real close to that 100 episode mark so and we got something special nice. planned for you guys for episode 100 so please stick with us and thank you for listening so, Pete, you ready to close Absolutely. this out? Yeah, finally. All right, another, <laughs> another episode in the can. If you guys will do us a favor and check us out at top5report.com, there you'll find all of the links to our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there or hit us up on our social media. Um, we are on Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Um, please subscribe to us there, and if you subscribe to us, you won't miss a single episode. And um, you can also review us. Uh, where you can, we love the five stars, but we also understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be looking for people to join me in seeing Scott Pilgrim and being part of theater audience versus the coronavirus. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, <laughs> For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. We win. Snyder Cut's coming. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.